Hey everyone, it's Ingrid here, and I wanted to let you know before we jump into this episode that we actually recorded this before the economy and employment were impacted by coronavirus. I think the exercises in this episode will still be really helpful for anyone who is feeling fear around money, but I also wanted to let you know that it doesn't directly address the new climate we're in. I thought that was important for you guys to know just moving into this because we are talking about money and we are in a completely different climate now from when we recorded this weeks ago. The context, I think, is important for you guys to have. And with all of that being said, I hope that you enjoy this episode and that you're able to take something positive away from it. Talia is absolutely amazing, and I loved our conversation and talking with her. Here we go into the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to season two of One Step, a podcast about the small steps in the process of healing. We'll be exploring life's deepest questions around relationships, money, creativity, identity, and family, while also celebrating the small victories. We're breaking down the wall between who we think we should be and who we really are. Because healing doesn't happen overnight, it happens one step at a time. I'm your host, Ingrid Nilsson, and I have spent the last 10 years sharing my life and personal growth on the internet, but avoiding all conversations about money. Now, I'm someone who wants to talk about money all the time with everyone. So one of our biggest takeaways from season one of the podcast was that we all have a lot of feelings and fears around money, myself included. So that's why today we are bringing on Talia Delju, who's a positive psychology expert and personal development coach. She's going to talk us through our money fears. Talia is the host of the Forbes-featured podcast, Sincerely Me, which is a podcast about self-discovery and inner work where she dives deep into topics like mindset, vulnerability, and happiness. In Talia's coaching work, she helps people make space for positive change. So our intention for this episode is to talk about these fears and find some practical ways to start shifting our money mindset. So here she is, everyone, Talia Delju. Hello, Talia. How's it going? I'm so excited to have you here. I am too. I cannot wait to get into our conversation today. Yeah, and I'm really excited because I am testing out a new first question that I'm going to be asking to everyone who is on the podcast, and you are the first person to get this question. So (laughs) the first step is how would you describe your relationship with money growing up? So I love this question. Um, And I would say growing up, at least when I was younger or very little, I didn't really know that I had a relationship to money. I think a lot of that was just not very intentionally thought about, mainly because I came from a very supportive family. Um, Money was not something that I really ever thought about or that was really talked about, which is an absolute dream and privilege in many cases. However, I also think that that didn't quite equip me for later in life when I had to be intentional about my thoughts and feelings around money. And I'd say, and you know, early on growing up, it was definitely not something I thought much about, not something I recognized 
was a relationship. You know, growing up a little bit later on, I've done a lot of work around recognizing some of my own feelings when they did become a bit more conscious, some positive, some not so positive. And I've done a lot of work around that that I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, I think it's a great place to start because we have to recognize that all the things in life, whether living or non-living, breathing, non-breathing, like that we're in relationship to the world around us and money is, is such a big piece of that. So it's important to be intentional, be conscious and recognize what that relationship looks like. Yeah, totally. And I think that so many people have the same experience, you know, when we're younger, We obviously know that money is around in the world, but we're not fully aware of what our relationship is to it until Mm -hmm. we get older and we're reflectively looking back. And, you know, I relate to that so much because I feel like I've been digging in to that part of myself just now, you know, in my Mm -hmm. 30s. So I would love to hear, you know, what is some of the healing that you've had to do around money as you've gotten older? The biggest healing for me has been in kind of transforming what once was guilt into what is starting to become gratitude. And by that, what I experienced was this very intense guilt around coming from a somewhat wealthy family and and not having to think or worry about money. I felt like that was wrong. I felt like it wasn't fair. I felt like I had to justify the things I had. You know, I remember like getting my first car when I was 16 and I would get comments from people. And the first thing I'd say is like, oh, but my dad's best friend is a car dealer and we bought it used and he got a great deal. You know, it was like this constant justification coming really out of this, this guilt and this fear that people are judging me somehow for it and that having money is bad. And, you know, it somehow says something about me um, that I feel like I need to control. And it took a, a while for me to recognize that coming from this type of support and having this really this safety of this financial safety from my family is really what is there to enable me to do the work I'm doing. If I didn't have that, I don't know if I would have been able to step straight into entrepreneurship the way I did straight out of grad school. I definitely wouldn't have been able to do that. And so I'm trying to change that narrative, to change the story, the thoughts, the feelings around it, and look at it as, again, an opportunity to do work. It's it's kind of like lit the fire under me and pushed me in this direction that's motivating more than anything else, right? Now it's like I have no choice but to do something with this because I've been given this platform, I've been given this life, and I'm going to do something with it instead of getting in my own way and getting stuck in the stories and feeling like it's wrong to have money up until last year, honestly, it felt very wrong and there was a lot of shame tied to being supported by my parents still. It's taken work for sure to get out of that story and into a new one. Oh, Talia, thank you so much for sharing a piece of your story. I feel like it is so incredibly valuable to hear that context and that background because as I have been making this podcast, I've realized you know, so many of these stories that are coming out of people are stories of change and transition and success. And I feel like having that financial context is often left out of success stories. And people are kind of left wondering, well, were their parents helping them? Where was the money coming from? Like, people are always just thinking about money. I know I am when I meet people. I'm like, 
but how did they get there? Like, <laughs> yeah. how did they get the money to like yeah. do what they're doing? How much are they making? Things right. like that. And to just hear you say, you know, I came from a wealthy family. My parents were supporting me. That gives me just like this sense of excitement and also mm. relief because I'm like, okay, I have the information that is so valuable and so important. And now I have this like roadmap and context for the rest of what you're doing. It just, pr it fills in this puzzle piece that we're often not given. And it's just this big question mark that's usually left behind. And it's so incredible to hear your story and to also hear how forth coming you are about it because I think so many people who have come from wealth or have come from you know circumstances where their parents were able to support them are hesitant to say so because they mm -hmm. are afraid of that judgment um, yeah. and from my perspective I'm like I want to hear that I want to know because it's gonna make me just so much more excited to hear your story and I'm going to have a deeper understanding of where you came from and I've noticed that you know for people who are starting their own businesses when that pivotal piece of information is left out people are working really hard and mm -hmm. they're like well I'm doing the same things that this person is doing and saying, but that's not happening for me. I'm not able to start a business in the way that this person was. And usually it's like that financial piece that's yeah. left out. And so it's just incredible to hear that from you. I'm so excited to have that information because I'm like, great, now we can really move forward and yeah. learn more. So I've heard you talk about something called money mindset for mm -hmm. people who aren't familiar with that can you break it down absolutely and i'll simplify it in like the easiest way possible money mindset is the collection of thoughts and stories that you've attached to money it's as simple as that if we get a little bit further into the consequences of that it's understanding how the thoughts you think about money and the stories you've created around money lead to certain emotions tied to money. And those emotions lead to certain types of behaviors or actions around money. And those actions lead to some kind of result in your life when it comes to your financial situation. So money mindset itself is the thoughts and stories, but then it's also understanding kind of the bigger web and picture of how those thoughts impact your feelings, how those feelings impact your behaviors and how your behaviors ultimately lead to your reality that you're living in. So that's my high level simplified definition of that. So thoughts, feelings, and then that leads to behavior, which then leads to manifesting your reality. Exactly. Correct? Okay, perfect. So we reached out to the One Step community and because I was really curious about fears around money. I know what my fears are around money, and I was really curious as to what other people were thinking. And when we prompted people to send in their fears, we got hundreds of responses. And Christina actually wrote out about a hundred of them so we could look at them and then put them in different categories. And there were three different themes that kept coming up repeatedly. The first one was not having saved enough for retirement or a future emergency. 
debt holding you back, whether it's student loans or debt preventing you from ever getting ahead, buying a home, paying for a family, and losing freedom or independence due to not having enough money, whether it's being afraid to leave a relationship because of money or Mm -hmm. depending on a partner for financial support. And so I would love to go through these fears with you because as Christina and I were going through these list of fears from other people, both of us were like, are you feeling fear too? Because I'm reading (laughs) some of these and I'm feeling these very strongly. So, you know, this was something that Christina and I were just feeling ourselves going through these. And so I would love to go through these with you and just talk about ways to navigate these specific fears. The first one is not having enough saved for retirement or a future emergency. So before we get into the specific questions, I think it's important to understand first and foremost how, when, where, and why fear shows up in life, specifically in the context of money. And the best way to do that is talking to fear, writing, literally sitting down and writing a letter to fear. Because when I hear that question, and you just said this yourself, what I hear is fear. I don't really hear the substance of the question. I just hear the emotional content of the question itself. And that just takes me to wanting to sit down with this person and explore how fear is showing up for you and what fear is actually trying to tell you and do for you. You know, I literally day one of my coaching process, I have people write that letter dear fear and see what comes up. The one thing I always try to encourage people to consider is that at the end of the day, you know, fear is here and trying to keep you safe, wants you to be successful and happy and alive just like you do. And in that sense, again, this is like such a simple mindset shift and trick, but it's like, okay, if fear wants me to be safe and happy and successful and I want to be safe and happy and successful, Me and fear want the same thing. And for the longest time, we looked at fear as something that's trying to work against us or wants the worst for us. And it's something that we have to try to eliminate or push down or get rid of. But I I like to think of it as something to work with, right? Like you, you want the same thing. So how can you just like money recognize that it's a relationship and start working on that relationship? So that's kind of the starting point is to recognize how is fear showing up for you? What is it trying to tell you? And what does fear need to hear from you to quiet down a little bit? What does fear need to hear? What does fear need to feel from you to kind of take a back seat for a little bit? And maybe it's just as simple as like, I got this fear, you know, when I need you, I'll let you know. But for now, like, I'm good. Thank you for your service. And, you know, I'll I'll meet you down the road if I if I need you. So I'd start there and to then go directly to your question or this fear and this question of like not having enough for retirement or an emergency. I think to your earlier point too, like information is so powerful. And a lot of times our fears, our questions are based in everything but the truth. They're based in assumptions that we're making. And so for folks who are asking themselves questions like, what do I need to save? How will I handle an emergency situation in the future? To actually put some numbers to it, right? Like how much do you actually need to save or want to save? And to not look online to see what some generic article is going to tell you, but to actually look at 
your own life, to look at the lifestyle you want to live in retirement, and to reverse engineer that and ask yourself how much it's going to cost. Retirement looks differently for every single human being, and it's going to cost something different for every single human being. So it's important to work with the facts, look at the numbers, feel empowered by the certainty that you can inevitably find by asking questions, by talking to people who have you know something saved for their emergency that might come up. The longer we sit with these question marks and sit in that gray area, it's breeding grounds for fear. It's breeding grounds for more doubts and assumptions and fears to come up. So to sit down and ask yourself whether it's for this one question or the other questions we'll talk about is, you know, what do I know to be true? How can I come back to the fact and ground myself in the truth instead of like living in this gray area in my head, letting fear kind of like run me around this hamster wheel, coming back to the facts and the truth can sometimes quiet that voice and empower us with actual information that's factual and that can help us move into a place of finding a solution. And again, going back to putting numbers to it for yourself, what is your dream retirement? What does it look like? Are you traveling once a month? Where are you traveling to? Look up flight tickets. How much are those going to cost? Really just going from the doubts and assumptions to truth and facts in a way that will just ground you and get you into a better feeling state. And why that's important from a positive psychology standpoint is that when we're able to feel something positive, to feel a positive emotion, it's been found through research that when we're feeling something good, we're actually able to expand what's called the thought action repertoire. So we're able to actually consider more possibilities because our minds are able to feel safer to think more creatively. So if you're trying to find an answer to a question like that while you're feeling scared or doubtful or uncertain, you're actually not, your brain isn't going to be able to access the creative solutions that it could if you were in a better feeling state. Oh, I love that. And I love how you talk about, you know, bringing fear in and asking it what it's saying. I feel like I went through that with my relationship with anger. That was something I always felt like I had to suppress and just never acknowledge or express. And when I learned to bring anger to the table and recognize that anger was just telling me, oh, there's a change that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. What is that change? It was life-changing for me and acknowledging that anger was telling me something. And I feel exactly the same way about fear. It is totally there to tell us something and it works mm -hmm. so much better for us to work with it. I've actually been told uh, by someone that I love this and I think about it every time I feel fear, that fear is false evidence appearing real. Mm -hmm. And so when you were saying fear can lead us down this path of having doubts and to search for facts, it made me think of that because when I think of fear as false evidence appearing real, I then tell myself to look for the evidence that is real in my yeah. life and to search out that information and like you said not go online and google things because I feel like it's <laughs> really similar to when you're not feeling well or something is going on with your body and then you google symptoms and you're like oh yeah. my god I, <laughs> I am in a dire situation um, so I feel like that can happen definitely with money too because I've googled things and it will send me into a place of more fear and more doubt or I feel like I can't 
relate to the information or it's not really tailored to me. And that's why I love your advice of really seeking out the evidence that's in your life and Mm -hmm. then working from there. Yeah, that's perfect. It's all about finding evidence for the opposite. I've experienced that too. I feel like when I do take that step to work with fear and seek out that evidence that's in my life, then I'm able to do something with it. And when you talk about that creative expansion, I've totally felt it. You know, it might be uncomfortable at first, but really empowering yourself with that evidence in your life helps you take the next step forward towards that. So the next fear that came up for people was debt holding you back, whether it was student loans, debt preventing you from ever getting ahead, buying a home, paying for a family, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that idea and fear of debt holding you back from the things that you want in your life. I'll preface this by reminding folks that I'm not a financial planner. So my responses to this are going to come from a mindset and coaching perspective. So what I hear there, you know, the first question, what I heard a lot of was fear. What I hear with the second question of, of debt holding me back and not having enough money to be able to have the things I want later in life, a family, a house, what have you, what I hear there is scarcity, this sense of scarcity that there's never going to be enough, um, whether it's of money or of of something else. So the first way I would challenge that, absolutely there is truth to that reality for many people. The mindset trick that I'll share here is to take that thought, right? There's never going to be enough if that's really what you're feeling kind of at the at the core of that question is actually the same thing that what you just said is to flip that from it, there's never going to be enough to there is enough and to find evidence in your life of where there is enough. Where is there abundance in your life? How is abundance showing up for you, whether it's in the friends you have or the food you ate or the amount of oxygen you were able to take in when you were on your walk outside or the sunshine or the rain? Our mind easily jumps to again, that fear-based place of scarcity of there not being enough. But when you flip the coin and give your mind an opportunity to look at what there is enough of in your life and how abundance is showing up for you. It again gets you back to neutral and if not in a more positive abundant headspace so that you're able to think more creatively and actually find solutions that work for you based on your lifestyle, based on your desires, based on what you need to feel empowered in your life financially and otherwise. So that's that's kind of where my the story I shared initially is like transforming guilt into gratitude, transforming that mindset of scarcity into abundance here and starting a gratitude practice. It doesn't have to be related to money at all, but still once you start getting into the practice and habit of priming your mind to look for what is good and what is working and what is well, you'll be a lot less inclined to jump straight into the subconscious conditioned fear and scarcity mindset. When you said the word neutral, it made me think about the idea of money being neutral. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Would you describe money as being a neutral thing? Absolutely. My philosophy in my coaching work is that every Everything, literally everything, is neutral until your mind makes meaning of it, until you ascribe Mm -hmm. a thought, a story, and a feeling to it. And some people might find that a little weird to hear, like, no, my, you know, my relationship to my dog is not neutral. It's really positive. But all the things we encounter in life are neutral until we attach 
thought meaning story, which is a really empowering and powerful thing to recognize because you hold all the power in the world by the thoughts you choose to think about something. So if money is negative in your mind, it's because the thoughts you're thinking about money are negative. It's not that money itself is negative. It's a neutral object that you've now ascribed meaning to, that you've now placed judgment on. And we do this to everything in life, right? Like nothing's actually in our minds neutral, but in reality, I would argue that everything is absolutely neutral. It's just then you come into it, your conditioned responses come into it, the stories you've been told or taught or shown or modeled subconsciously, unconsciously attach themselves to things because that's how we make meaning of the world around us. But yeah, I would agree that money is a completely neutral object and you get to choose if you want it to stay neutral, great. If you want it to be positive, great, then you have to engineer the story around it. You have to engineer the thoughts that you're going to think about money. You get to choose that. How cool is that? Like that is ultimate power and freedom in my opinion. I agree. I mean, I feel like I first kind of started swimming around this pool of neutrality since I come from the world of beauty and there are so many thoughts and feelings that people have around makeup and skincare products and the beauty industry in general. And I have developed this thought process of, you know, a tube of lipstick is neutral. It doesn't have any meaning until I pick it up and Mm -hmm. do something with it. And it's the same thing with, you know, paint and a paintbrush. Those are completely neutral objects until somebody picks them up and decides to do something with them. What I've been thinking about with money and neutrality is the thought processes that I've had around money And one of my kind of negative feelings about myself has been, oh, because I have money, I am greedy, I'm selfish, I am evil, because I had had this idea of if you have a lot of money, if you're rich, you are evil. And so Mm -hmm. now that I've found myself in a position of being rich, Mm -hmm. I started associating that with myself. When I started questioning that idea, it changed a lot for me because I realized, oh, money is actually like makeup. It is neutral until I put energy behind it. And based off of what I do or don't do with Mm -hmm. it, it can have um, positive and negative effects in my life. And I think the what you're not doing with your money is also interesting to think about because we often focus on like what we are doing with our money but I think what we're not doing with it also has a huge effect on us as well for sure and that's that's actually a great point that I would love to visit quickly when people sit down to start doing this money mindset work the first place to go is to think about the people who have a lot of money in the world in your life whether you know them or not and to write down the judgments you have about them, good and bad, because that is completely tied to obviously your relationship to money. So what is the story that you have in your mind about people who have money? And how is that influencing your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors around money? And for a lot of folks, they also start to recognize that a lot of their mindset, their feelings, their stories around money were 
conditioned. A lot of my money stuff is not mine. It's a lot of my mom's stuff that I didn't even realize I was taking on energetically and starting to give into and feed into and believe. But it's not my truth. It might not even be her truth, but I learned it from her. So to recognize that the thoughts we think may or may not belong to us and to recognize what are the judgments we have around other people who have money and how can that maybe shed some light on the parts of us that, that really do need to be healed and, and be given some attention. It has been so incredibly healing to just cultivate a perspective around that um, because something that just came up for me as I was writing down my own judgments about myself, greedy kept coming up over and over and over and over. And when I started really looking into that and writing down what my affirmations would be and telling myself that I'm generous, it made me really emotional to go there and to allow myself to say that I am generous because that is actually my truth. And it felt so powerful to step mm -hmm. into that and also really scary to step into territory that I had never really been in before because yeah. I had been so comfortable in that negative judgment about myself. Mm -hmm. Stepping into what the truth was felt yeah. foreign. Yeah, it's not something that we're used to doing. Mm-hmm. So the last one that I have here on this list is losing freedom or independence due to not having enough money, whether it is being afraid to leave a relationship because of money or depending on a partner for financial support, whether it's because your job circumstance at the time requires one person to be the sole breadwinner or maybe one person is in school or starting a business and then the other partner is taking on the financial um, support for the two people. I think there are a lot of different circumstances for people, but essentially yeah. losing freedom or independence around money. Well, the first mindset tricks that I shared with the other two questions, I think can definitely apply here, right? The fear, acknowledging how the fear is showing up um, and shifting from that scarcity mindset to the abundance mindset through creating a gratitude practice, through recognizing what you do have enough of in your life. The two other kind of mindset tricks here, the first would be, I wish I had a fun name for this, but basically it's changing your buts to ands. So one of the many questions I heard there was, let's say someone comes to you and says, I really want to leave my partner, but I don't have enough money to support myself financially. The minute you say but, the minute that word comes into your head and you start using that language is the minute you tell yourself that the thing you want is not possible given your current reality. So it's either I stay or I, I'm losing something, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't have both. I can't have all the things that I want. I can't give this up because it means not being able to have something else. So the minute the but comes in is the minute you're in this either or very black or white way of thinking. And the conversation ends there, right? It's like, well, I want this, but I don't want to lose that. So I guess I'm just stuck where I am. The one way I would encourage people to, to get out of that stuckness is to change the but to an and. Because again, when you say the but, you're not allowing for solutions for creative problem solving to come into the picture. So if you took that and instead said to yourself, I would love to really leave my partner. And at this point, I would not be able to support myself financially. So here's what I need to do, right? It moves us straight into this place of planning, of 
taking some kind of action of thinking about if I want to leave my partner and I want financial independence, what can I do next? So how can these two things coexist without me having to choose between them? Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. You know what it actually makes me think of? It makes me think of when you're talking to someone else or somebody's speaking to you and they say something and then you know a butt is coming and you're just like, oh, everything is about to just be cut off by this butt. This reminds me of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how do you bring in the and instead to remind yourself that these two things can happen? You don't have to necessarily choose between the two and you aren't stuck. The other thing that I would encourage people to think about, and this may or may not work in every situation, but again, going back to scarcity versus abundance, when we're in situations of having to make choices and feeling stuck and not knowing which way to turn, our our fear-based minds are a lot more likely to think about what we're going to lose. If I leave, I'm going to lose my independence. If I do this, this is the this is the loss I'm going to have to face. Um, and it's absolutely great to think about all the the consequences, but where are the positive consequences? Like where are the gains, right? So making sure you're considering all sides, all aspects and taking that kind of bird's eye view and looking at, okay, I might lose independence temporarily. However, what I will gain is a sense of empowerment and freedom. And when I feel empowered, I'm actually going to be a lot more likely to get a higher paying job or do whatever else I need to do. So what are those losses? Yes, sure. Think about those, but also think about what you have to gain, whether you get yourself back to neutral or ideally get yourself into a more positive headspace. You need to just come back to, and this kind of brings us full circle, right? Like what are the facts? What do you know to be true? What is there an abundance of in your life? How do you make sure that your mind is not just jumping to worst case scenario. Here's what I'm losing. Here are the negative consequences. I shouldn't do it because you're going to convince yourself to not do it, of course, because where you are, even if it feels bad, is somewhat familiar to you. So recognize that it's going to require discomfort, but that there are inevitably going to be some gains associated with it as well. I feel like, you know, when I try to think about the gains, often when I step into that space, it feels like crickets are chirping. I'm like, oh, I can think (laughs) of all the terrible things that will happen really quickly. But when I think about the positive things, I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) It's quiet here. I need to... I need to sit here for a little bit and really explore that. And I think the more that I've practiced it, the easier it has come to me. The more that I've chosen to step into that space and think about the gains, the crickets chirping have kind of subsided a little bit more. But, you know, taking that first step in really is so terrifying because we are so conditioned to be in a space of fear. And I'm wondering, why is that? Why is our default often fear? Takes us back to biology and evolution. Like fear served a very important function and that was survival. So that drive and that instinct is still there for those same reasons. However, we're not being met with the same threats we were, you know, however many years ago. And so it's it's important to remind yourself of that because a lot of things for me right now feel threatening. However, if I were to look at the facts and the truth, is my survival actually being threatened? Most likely not to the extent that my mind is convinced it will. So looking at that and, and looking at, okay, how how might this have served me then? And how how does this threat compare to 
you know, a real threat of a tiger chasing me hundreds of thousands of years ago. Our bodies have the same conditioned response, which is just alarming. But yeah, a lot of us spend most of our time, most of our days in fight or flight, and our systems have not adapted to recognize that the threats we now face are not even close to what we what we had to face. But keeping it in check is important. And at the same time, not something we have to work against, but something we can learn to learn to love and learn to work with and learn to recognize as an ongoing relationship that is going to continue needing work because different threats, different fears, different things and life experiences will continue to show up in your life. It's just recognizing and remembering that you have the power to choose how you're going to respond to whatever life circumstance comes your way. Yeah, I think about that fight or flight and how we're constantly in that place of being afraid. And I've had so many experiences where, you know, my imagination has taken me either into a place in the future that hasn't happened or I'm revisiting something in the past that has happened. And I have started to realize that when I am able to bring myself back to the present moment, 99% of the time, I am okay. I am mm-hmm. okay in that moment. And that has been really comforting for me. And I have slowly practiced that over the course of the last decade where I've gone through so many changes, especially financial changes going from, you know, growing up, I didn't grow up in poverty, but I did grow up in circumstances where there wasn't you know, extra money to do things that like how people would just go on vacations every year. Like we didn't always have that ability to do that or even just smaller extra things, you know, at Christmas. um, Sometimes there wasn't enough to have larger Christmas presents and my parents would just kind of do whatever they could to get by. And so now my financial circumstances have changed a lot. And what I've learned over the last 10 years and reflecting on it, I've realized that I did have those moments where I brought myself back to the present moment, even in really difficult times. And I realized nothing physically dangerous is happening to me right now like nothing is like hurting me in this moment I am purely in my mind Mm -hmm. right now and that has been so incredibly helpful for me now that I have further distance from a lot of the really really hard stuff that I was going through when I was younger I think that practice has really served me now because it doesn't make like all the feelings immediately go away but it has helped me to realize like okay let me just look around the room I'm okay my dog is here (laughs) nothing's coming after me right now and this is something that I'm actually really curious to kind of know your perspective on if you have one because I haven't really heard anyone talk about this but it's trauma around money and I know This is a question really for myself. I was going to say, I know people have experienced this, but really I have experienced this. Just various trauma around money, whether it was like, you know, when I was growing up, I witnessed a lot of really intense conflict between my parents around money. They had very, very conflicting values around money. So I 
witnessed that from a very young age and it was just a thread of stress through their relationship. I've also been in circumstances where I was in an abusive relationship and the person was using money as a way to really control and have power Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. relationship. And so I feel like money is already this like really tangly web. And when you add in a layer of trauma like that, it can get even more knotted and feel even more overwhelming. And I've noticed that that stuff comes back. That stuff Mm -hmm. is very much alive in a lot of my present day fears. Mm -hmm. So what would your advice be for navigating that and moving forward? So there's, I mean, there is a lot that I would unpack there. I think step one, back to writing a letter, I would write a letter to money to really start understanding all the different pieces and parts of that web, all the tangled bits, and to take your time with it. Because to your point, like there are a lot of influences, a lot of people, a lot of experiences that might have contributed to that. A lot of people stop there. I think the second part of this exercise is to actually write a letter back from money to you as if you were talking from money's point of view. So money kind of writes a letter to you in response to your letter to money, which I think does a lot of things. One, it helps bring you back to that place of neutrality where you realize, oh, money's not the bad guy here. Okay. But that it also kind of affirms the fact that it's a two-sided, ongoing, ever-evolving relationship and that it's, you know, money's something you can always come back to talk to and it's there for you and it's going to have thoughts and ideas to share back to you, back with you. So that's where I would encourage people to start. I think in terms of the traumas and the experiences that have led to some of the more negative money mindset habits or what have you, I truly believe that the awareness is 90% of the work, right? Once you're aware of, oh, maybe this is where that comes from. Okay. So it doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. It's not in my present. And just recognizing its influence and recognizing again, like its origin, I think can really start to move the needle. And it's like the domino effect, right? Like it's the first domino you're flicking over and that process of change has begun already just through the simple awareness of where all of it comes from. It's also just taking a moment to ask yourself, how do I want my relationship to money to look like? You know, envisioning it, feeling into it, meditating on it, putting yourself in that frequency, that higher vibe frequency of a positive relationship, if assuming that's what you want it to look like. Write that new story down. Here's my relationship to money. Here's how we work together. Here's how we feel about each other. Here's what we do together. Here's what we talk about together. And just get yourself into a new story. It can be... Not necessarily easy, but as simple as changing the narrative, which, again, only you can do for yourself. Yeah, I think something that I think we started with at the top of this episode was that claiming of your story. You claimed your financial story. And that's what I'm hearing with this piece, too, is like claiming the story for yourself, because what I've noticed is You know, when I don't claim elements of my story, those blanks are going to be filled in for me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times by other people or by my own fears. And it is just incredibly powerful to take control of that and own that piece of your story and then ultimately 
claim responsibility for your entire story too. I feel like that's, you know, what our life's work is, is claiming our story. But it's so hard. Like I always think every year I'm like, oh wow, I've like done so much work. And then the current year just presents a whole slew of more work to experience. And I'm like, oh, this work is just never done. It's a process. Absolutely. That is very, very true. And the more we open ourselves up to experience, the more we see needs to heal, whether however big or small, there's always more to be done. (laughs) Yeah. So something that I like to do at the end of my podcast is have the person that I'm talking to share a small victory from their week because I think it can be really powerful, especially, you know, when we're going through something difficult to have an anchor of something positive that is, you know, a victory for us in the last week that we can look to and point to as evidence of something that is true and real and positive in our lives. So What is a small victory from your last week? I love this question, and it's a great way to end. A victory, I'll call this a big victory in my own personal and professional life. Um, So about six or seven months ago, I started this new coaching program in my business. It's a year-long program with all the nuts and bolts, and midway through the year, which ended up being this past weekend, all the women from all over the country who are in the program came together to meet in person in Austin for a three-day retreat. And it was my first retreat with all of them this past weekend. And my sister is actually a private chef. So she came and worked the weekend with me and cooked for everybody. And it was definitely a big milestone in my own life, both again, personally and professionally, to be able to create an experience like that for a group of women who are just so committed to their own personal growth and their own evolution and transformation and their own healing and to be able to create it, to share that space, to guide them through a weekend and and to work with my sister. It was really, really fun. And we're looking forward to a lot more collaborating in the future with retreats. So it was definitely an unforgettable weekend. And I'm still riding the high of that as I'm move into my week. Oh, that's so wonderful. I love that. And then the added element of your sister being able to be a part of it too. And, you know, lending her expertise and skills to something. I feel like that is always something so cool for me. Like when I witness my friends really stepping into their element Mm -hmm. and getting to see them shine in a way that I don't really get to see on an everyday basis. It's just so cool to see that in other people. Yeah, it really was beautiful to bring kind of our passions together and create something for people that really meant something. So it was awesome. Well, thank you so much, Talia. I loved our conversation. I am just so grateful that you took the time to be here with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for all your beautiful questions. You're doing such important work in the world and I wish you nothing but the best and can't wait to continue seeing how you move through the world. I just want to say thank you so much to Talia for joining us and helping us work through our fears. If you are wondering where you can find Talia on the internet, you can find her on Instagram at Talia Delju and at taliadelju.com. We will definitely have her links in the description of the podcast so you can find the information there. And of course, she has her podcast, Sincerely Me. We also recorded an episode for her podcast, so go make sure that you check that out too because we did a little switch where I became the guest on her podcast, which is always a fun position to be in. 
Today, we covered fears around money, and we really wanted to do this first because later on One Step, at some point, we want to bring in someone who is a financial advisor, an expert, to give us some doable tips to start tackling our fears around retirement, savings, and just more deeply understanding money. But we really wanted to cover fear first because Christina and I were talking about this and we just really believe that understanding your fear and having an awareness around it is the first step to making change especially when it comes to money and understanding your fears are going to inform the steps that you're going to take on a tactical and tangible level and on a strategic level when it comes to managing your money. Basically, it's going to help you make more informed decisions around your money. And that's what we're really going for here. We don't want to just jump in blindly. And of course, thank you so much to everyone who is out there listening. On the next episode, which will be going up later this week, I am going to be reflecting on this episode and sharing some of my personal feelings around like what came up for me while I was talking to Talia and how I'm working with it. We're making a little change here on season two. So instead of posting one podcast episode a week, there will now be two episodes a week. So at the beginning of the week, you will get a full interview with a guest that we have chosen and are really excited to talk to. And then at the end of the week, you will get a stepping stone. And that is the reflection episode. And we're really excited to just like play around with that new format. And we hope that you guys enjoy getting two episodes in a week instead of one. If you have your own thoughts or feelings or reflections that came up for you while listening to this episode, we would love to hear where you are coming from. If you'd like to share with us, you can email a voice note to us. And if you have an iPhone, you can use the app that comes on your phone called Voice Memos. And you can also use an app called Voice Record and then send it to onesteppodcast at gmail.com. I think it's really special to receive voice memos from you guys. It's really cool to be able to hear your voices. And it can also just be more efficient for you guys to tell us what you're thinking through saying it to us than trying to like sit and write an email and taking up a lot of time. But obviously, there are so many ways to get in touch with us. If you don't want to send us a voice note, email us. You can also message us on Instagram. So make sure you're following us at One Step Podcast because we post updates there. You can comment. You can message us. There are so many ways to get in touch with us. So do what you feel comfortable with. Last but not least, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can find One Step on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much to our producer, Christina Cleveland and our sound engineer and editor Tung Chen and of course our lovely studio the YouTube space in New York City take care and talk soon